Please be seated. I may be the only one who has this uh, in his or her life, but I have a book uh, that I read on almost a yearly basis. Uh, it's not the Bible, but I do try to read the Bible on a yearly basis. No, it's a, a fictional book that I love so much uh, and that speaks to me so deeply that I read it almost yearly. And I know what you all are thinking. You're assuming that it is uh, the Batman uh, comic book, The Dark Knight Returns, but it's not. It's not a Star Wars one either, Susan. Gosh. <laughs> you know, Lonesome Dove is right up there, but this, this isn't it. Uh, the book that I read on almost a yearly basis is called Rules for Old Men Waiting. That's right. It's called Rules for Old Men Wait Waiting, and it tells the story of a retired World War I historian named Robert McIver. And Robert McIver is, is near the end of his life. And so in this story, Rules for Old Men Waiting, he retreats to the lake house that he shared with his beloved wife who has preceded him in death. And he retreats to this lake house with provisions, with, with food and, and waffles and plenty of single malt whiskey. And he retreats to this, this lake house with the intention to write his last great book. It's uh, Rules for Old Men Waiting is at times heartwarming and at times heartbreaking. Rules for Old Men Waiting is a love story, and it's a war story, and it's full of an old man's memories. It's full of an old man's rejoicing, and it's full of an old man's regrets as he waits for the illness that has taken hold of his body to run its course. Now, McIver is a man of discipline, a man of structure, and so rather than just uh, descend in some sort, into some sort of chaos as he waits to die, as he waits to write this book, he creates for himself a set of rules to live by. He creates for himself a discipline to order his life around so that he can accomplish his goal while he waits for the end. This strikes me as Robert McIver begins and, and writes rules for old men waiting. It strikes me as a sort of advent for this character, McIver. Advent is that season in which we actively wait, in which we actively prepare for an event that is certain to occur, but comes with an uncertain timing. Advent is, as we've seen and heard over the past few weeks, that season of intentional waiting and preparation leading up to the celebration of Christmas. Waiting and preparing for the celebration of Jesus' first coming in humility and in weakness and the expected anticipation of Jesus' second coming in glory. Believers are called, believers in Jesus, are called to wait and to get ready, to prepare, to live by a rule. Because an event that is certain, the return of Jesus, will occur with uncertain timing. Last Sunday, we heard John the Baptist call us to prepare for the coming of the Lord through repentance. And this week, St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 through 24, offers us what I would call rules for the church waiting. While the church waits for Jesus to return, it is to be sanctified. That's really the rule for the church that is waiting. Midway through the fourth chapter of St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he began to discuss Jesus' return. 
And in no uncertain terms, St. Paul declares Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he will gather his church to himself and begin his earthly reign. He will judge the world, completely defeat evil, and establish his kingdom here on earth. And as St. Paul discusses Jesus' return, he very specifically calls us to be prepared, to be awake. And in this passage today, St. Paul writes some very specific thoughts about what it looks like to be awake, to be prepared. Near the end of the passage that was read for us this morning, we heard this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In the midst of that verse, in the midst of those two verses, those two sentences, St. Paul says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He introduces to us for uh, this, this concept of sanctification. This thing that is connected to the coming of Jesus. But what is it? What does it mean to be sanctified? And what does sanctification do? And why is it the rule for the church that is waiting? Rooted in the concept of holiness, sanctification is the process of transformation and conformation. It's the process through which sin is eliminated from the life and being of a believer in Jesus, as that believer is conformed into the image of Jesus and made holy as God is holy. That's a really long uh, definition of sanctification, right? How many of us can remember that when we leave here today? I won't remember that when we leave here today. Here's the thing. Sanctification simply means that you are being made different than you were yesterday. Sanctification is the process of God changing you God changing me, and in turn, because God is at work changing me and changing you, we live differently. Maybe it's helpful to think about sanctification using the words from an Aerosmith song in which Steven Tyler once crooned, walk this way. In sanctification, God tells us, walk this way, because he is doing something in us. You see, the reality is believers in Jesus are dead to sin because of his death and in his death. And believers in Jesus are raised to new life in his resurrection. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now presently at work in our lives, freeing us from sin. And so we are free from sin, and yet we are not so transformed that we are freed from sin, that we are now holy. The process of sanctification, which begins the day we believe in Jesus and does not end until the day he returns or the day that we die, whichever comes first, this process of sanctification continues throughout our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. And sanctification is the rule for the church waiting. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, St. Paul writes. God is the chief actor in our sanctification, as God does things in us that we can't do in ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that gift from Jesus that his followers receive. The Holy Spirit works in us to change us and to form us, to make us holy, to set us apart for God. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means 
that we're getting better in God's power. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerates us so that we're born again. It is the Holy Spirit that continually convicts us of sin and leads us to repentance. It is the Holy Spirit that creates in us and produces in us character traits that St. Paul refers to as fruit in Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit works at the level of our being, our innermost selves, so that we are marked as God's own, set apart for God, and made different by God. The whole of a person just like the whole of a church, is sanctified, spirit, soul, and body. What joy it is to recognize that the work of sanctification, which is necessary, is given over to the one who is absolutely faithful, the one who does exactly as he says he will do. Becoming more and more holy, sanctification is a work of God, and it is non-negotiable for the believer in Jesus Christ. The rule for the church waiting for the corporate whole and for the individual parts is sanctification, being made holy. And it is the work of God. And it is also the work of man. While God does the heavy lifting, so to speak, believers in Jesus have a role to play in their sanctification. It may sound like a contradiction, but it is not. In his little book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, John Murray states, the sanctified are not passive in this process. God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor is our working suspended because God works. God works in us, and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. In the rule for the church waiting, we must recognize that while our activity is called into the process, we rely upon the strength, the resolution, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit God has changed and is changing our beings, conforming us into the image of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we do live differently. The truth is, our behaviors reveal our being. And so it is, God's work of sanctification within us is to be expressed in how we live. Fundamentally, this means we submit to God's reign and His rule in our lives as we live lives of active obedience. In this same letter, in fact, of 1 Thessalonians, a little bit earlier, Paul has commented, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. The will of God is that we would be made holy. We must, of course, recognize that the only way we could possibly stand before God as His children is through forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Just so, we must recognize that the only way we can actively obey God is through His ongoing work within us. How can we be sanctified through the work of God? How can we live sanctified lives through the work of God as we obey? This is the rule of the church waiting, to be sanctified. Now, I'm sure that you're thinking to yourself about right now, that's great! You are good, yeah. Another abstract concept for me to try to wrap my mind around and figure out. Awesome! What's for lunch? Well, in the words of Lee Corso, noted philosopher, not so fast, my friend. This rule of sanctification is not so easily discarded as St. Paul offers some incredibly concrete examples. And so we can't leave it in the realm of the abstract, because Paul doesn't leave it in the realm of the abstract. In two places within St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he gives us very specific and very practical ideas of active engagement in sanctification. 
He tells us there are things to stay away from and there are positive attributes, things to do. So first, writing in chapter 4, verse 3, St. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on to list four behaviors. Abstain from sexual immorality. Secondly, self-control. Third, not sinning against a brother. And fourth, love for fellow believers in Jesus. And then summarizing the rule of sanctification, St. Paul says, God has not called us for your impurity, but in holiness. So in that place, what are, what are four things that we can do that exhibit sanctification as a response of God's work in us? One, well, abstain from sexual immorality. Control yourself. Two, don't sin against a brother. And three, love fellow believers. And in the passage heard today, St. Paul focuses on three aspects of the shared life of the church, aspects which are behaviors that, to practice and, and characteristics of God's work of sanctification. The first aspect is a shared life of the church of peace, of interpersonal relationships, of peace. In chapter 5, verse 13, we read, Be at peace among yourselves. How do we know, then, that God is at work to sanctify, and how do we know that we're actively engaged in the process? Our lives are characterized by peace. God is the God of peace, of shalom. And so the church waiting should be a people of peace. And peace so often is described as a lack of something, namely a lack of strife or a lack of enmity or a lack of conflict. And that's true enough, but we need to recognize that peace is more than a lack of something, and it's also the presence of something. And so in the Old Testament, peace or shalom stressed well-being or wholeness provided by God. And it often refers to the right ordering of a thing, the wholeness of something. To be at peace, then, is to be rightly ordered, to be whole with well-being in the church body. And how does the church waiting find this peace? Well, thanks be to God that St. Paul offers us some good insight here. First, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. A church at peace, with peace that exhibits God's sanctifying work, and working towards sanctification, respects, esteems, and loves those who are called to labor as its ministers, lead and admonish it. Naturally, this does not mean that there isn't disagreement, but even in the context of disagreement, there's a fundamental relationship of respect, esteem, and love. A church at peace, a church being sanctified by God and working towards sanctification, also works for the good of the whole. Look at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The church, uh, the members of the church waiting have responsibilities to one another, just as a body part has a responsibility to the whole. We have the responsibility to lovingly correct those who are idle. Idle doesn't just mean lazy. Idle means out of order or disordered. Those who are not doing as they ought should be lovingly admonished. Encourage the faint-hearted. Those who are fearful or discouraged should be encouraged. Help the weak. Those who need a strong arm to lean upon. With patience and with love, we are called to help one another, to seek the good for those within our church. And notice that Paul says, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 
And so we seek to do good, not just to those within these walls, so to speak, but outside them as well. The rule for the church waiting is sanctification. And peace is a characteristic of the church being sanctified by God. We're called to work for peace, as Paul describes in these few verses. This is part of our sanctification as individuals and as a church. The second aspect of a shared life for the church waiting that reveals sanctification is a prevailing attitude of joy, prayer, and gratitude. Rejoice always. I'm just going to say that just for a second, let you ponder that one for a little bit. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Prayer and joy and gratitude are hallmarks of an optimistic attitude that God is at work in every context, even those we would rather avoid. These are hallmarks of an attitude that recognize all that we have is a gift from God's hand. And joy, prayer, and gratitude are hallmarks of a position of submission before the Lord. The rule of the church waiting is sanctification. And an optimistic attitude of joy and gratitude with prayerful dependence upon God is characteristic of the church being sanctified by God. We recognize that sometimes it's hard to rejoice always. It's difficult to pray without ceasing. And giving thanks in all circumstances is sometimes feels like an impossibility. But notice what Paul says. He doesn't really give us an option. He doesn't say rejoice when the right person wins the election. He doesn't say give thanks when you get the good parking space. He doesn't say uh, rejoice only when things are good for you. He says rejoice always when the wrong people win the election. Give thanks in all circumstances when God has given you poor health and not good health. Rejoice always even when you're stuck in holiday traffic on 98, a Memorial Day weekend. We're called to have this optimistic, joyous, and thankful attitude of prayer because we recognize that in any and every context, there is the opportunity for God to exalt Jesus, to change our lives, and to be glorified. We're called to have this optimistic and joyous and thankful attitude of prayer. It's part of our sanctification. And so we look for peace. We work for peace. We work for this optimistic attitude. And finally, we live a life dependent upon the Holy Spirit and embracing the good while rejecting the evil. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of of evil. Rather than quench the flames of the Holy Spirit, we need to embrace Him and that which He desires to do within us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks through individuals, and we ought to test that which we hear. Paul doesn't say accept everything at face value, nor does he say reject everything out of hand. Rather, he says test everything by the standard of Jesus and the apostolic teaching, and if that which is spoken passes the test of Scripture, then we keep it, and then we hold fast to the good and reject the false. The church really needs to do a better job of discerning the power of the Holy Spirit. In America today, I fear that we have quenched the Holy Spirit because we accept everything at face value. It's not that we discern and not that we reject 
everything out of hand, far too often we accept everything out of hand to our detriment. We're called to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, fleeing from evil, testing prophecies, and embracing the good. We're called to live in the discernment and power of the Holy Spirit, holding fast to the good. This is part of our sanctification as individuals and as a church. The church waiting has a single rule. Be made holy through the internal transformation brought about by the power of God and live in that holiness by living in the power of God. Be sanctified. And this is the kind of people we ought to be year-round. It just so happens that during this season of Advent, we pay extra special attention to this. Because Advent is that time in which we remember and we recall the uncertain timing of Jesus' certain return, and we've been called to actively wait through preparation. Robert McIver actively prepared for his death with his rules for old men waiting. He wrote his book, he drank his scotch, he remembered his wife, and he died. The rule for the church waiting is sanctification, the process of being made ready for the return of Jesus. As God works in us, we work for peace in our church and doing good to everyone. As God works in us, we work for an optimistic attitude of joy, of thanksgiving, and of gratitude. And as God works in us, we walk and work in the power of the Holy Spirit, abstaining from evil and embracing the good. That's the rule for the church waiting, a sanctification, the process of being made ready for the return of Jesus. We do well to recognize that God is at work here and now for our sanctification, and we're called to actively live this out. There's no other conclusion than to read again these words. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and give you thanks. Lord, you call us to follow after you in holiness, and you empower us to do exactly that. And so we pray as individuals of Emmanuel Church and as the Emmanuel Church itself that you would be at work in us, that we would be a people of peace with one another, that we would have an optimistic attitude of joy and rejoicing and gratitude, and that we would live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would do these things in us, that we would be light in this world, exalting Jesus and proclaiming his gospel as we speak truth and love people. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and continue our worship as we sing.